stand and join us. Welcome to those of you that are at home or wherever you're watching this online. We are grateful that we can meet together, whether it's in person or digitally, and we are glad you're here. Worship with us. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty. If that's you today, you're in the right place.
Good morning, everyone. It's so great to have you here today. And uh, why don't you just turn in your seat and wave to someone from way over on the other side of the room for a minute. service this morning and welcome to all of you who are watching at home or from wherever you are watching. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. Just a couple of announcements. Um, the first one is that it's that time of year for our property cleanup to be happening again and that's going to be on Saturday, May the 14th at 10 a.m. And of course we're going to end around noon with a free lunch. So we're pretty happy about that and every year Families come out, we all participate together to clean up the property, do some weeding and things like that, and it really makes a big difference. It's a great help, and it's a great family event, actually, um, teaching the kids how to um, take care of, you know, this church, because it belongs to all of us. So if you can come out, we would love to see you there. Um, before I do the second announcement, I'm just going to let the kids be dismissed. Um, everyone, JK to grade five, if you could go around the back and meet your leaders over at this door. Um, you're going to have fun out there today. <laughs> okay, great. Um, the next um, announcement is actually a video, uh, just a short video announcement from Kerr Street Ministries. And when, after you've watched that, if you want to respond to that in any way, you can um, see me after the service or you can email me or call here at the church. Um, so we're just going to watch that video now, and that's the end of the announcements. Thank you. Hello, friends. My name is Paula LaRocca, and I am the Neighbor Care Network Coordinator at Kerr Street Mission. Mm. And hey there, I'm John King. I'm the Cap Debt Center Manager for Oakville, working at Kerr Street Mission. What is the Neighbor Care Network, NCN? is a shared initiative between the local churches and Kerr Street Mission. Together, we build a network of volunteers to come alongside individuals in distress and help them attain a more sustainable situation. CAP stands for Christians Against Poverty. I have the privilege of working with these two amazing organizations, both working with churches to serve the Oakville community. It is my focus in our team to work alongside those who are in debt to become debt-free. How does it work? The church gives us volunteers and we train them to walk alongside these individuals and help them access services and supports and lead them through the process of change. Our mission is not just to help those in need, it is also to set a table for the church to come help serve. We want to support your compassion ministries in practical ways and make our clients know that they've been first of all heard, they feel respected, and that they feel like they've been cared for. And volunteers play a vital role in helping our clients move from a stage where they feel helpless and immobilized to where they feel empowered to set and achieve goals. So here is your opportunity to join our efforts in caring for our neighbors and demonstrating God's love to them. We need your help to fulfill this great mission. So if you feel led, let your leaders know 
and you'll receive a link to our orientation video. Please watch it to find out how you can use your talents, skills, and resources to help us care for our neighbors who are in need. For more information, please email me at paula.kirstreet.com. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless. has connected with you, see Pastor Jennifer at the end of the service. Before we continue on, can we just pray for a moment together? Holy Spirit, we gather here today for many reasons, some as basic as habit, and some because we're desperate to be with the spiritual family, to be prayed for, to be lifted up, to be encouraged, to be changed. But whatever our reasons are for being here this morning, we want this to be a time that is useful in your hands. We want these moments that we've set aside to change us, to hone us, to have us look in the face of our Savior. We want these moments to be for the glory of you and your kingdom and for the purpose of changing us and equipping us for this week to come that we can be what you need us to be in the world around us. And so, Holy Spirit, you are invited. You are invited to anoint our worship. You are invited to soften our hearts, to tune our hearts, that we could receive the word and have it change us. You are invited here. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?
words fail us in a culture that says there's never enough. We can stand in a place that says you are enough. You are the great I am. There is such completeness in your grace. There is such completeness in your love. There is such completeness in your sovereignty. And we stand as a body of faith, as a community of faith, as a family today. And we remind ourselves that despite what the culture around us says, that there is something that is enough. And it is amazing. It is amazing. Would you remain standing for the reading of the word this morning? Our scripture today is from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. And it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Thank you, church. You may be seated this morning, and thank you, worship team, for leading us so beautifully. I'm going to be completely honest with you all. I have a problem. All right? Recently, I became addicted to watching Shark Tank. All right, and if you don't know what Shark Tank is, it's a reality TV show, and the show features a panel of investors called Sharks, who decide whether to invest as entrepreneurs make business pro- uh, presentations on their company or their product. Usually there's a lot of creativity on display from a lot of people, but more often than not, and this is the part I'm most addicted to, is watching the products that don't quite hit the mark, that don't quite impress. Right? One of my favorites is something called Throx. Right, which are simply a package of socks. But you know when you buy a package of socks, you get two socks, because you know, one for each foot. But the Throx, right, this is a revolutionary idea, they come with three socks, right? Not just two, it comes with a third sock. So this person thought if you, buy, if you get a pack of three, when you lose one, you'll still have two, right? Because the mysterious loss of individual socks is really the problem uh, impacting our world today, right? And if you don't believe me, you can always look at my daughter's feet. She's always wearing, uh, like, she's always wearing two different socks. If you think adult socks are hard to keep track of, man, baby socks are a whole different beast. But the Throcks were one of those products that didn't quite hit the mark because, I mean, well, who would want to buy a pack of three socks? At that point, you just go to Costco, buy a bulk pack, and you have all the socks you need. And the Shark Tank investors didn't like it either and so shot down the product because it wasn't worthy of investment because it didn't have merit. And this morning, I want us to walk us through the theme of grace. And I feel like this is an important theme to walk, or this important time, rather, to walk through this theme, this subject, uh, for a few reasons. Uh, the first of which is that we just walked through the Easter season and the incredible reality that it was by grace that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. We also heard a message last week on Barnabas and how the grace of God in our lives helps us to make a difference in the lives of others. But the other reason is simply because it's one of those topics that 
as people, we can never truly get enough of. We can never truly know enough about. Grace is such a profound topic that is so much against what, is, what it is that the world and culture around us promotes. See, the world almost works on this kind of merit system. If you do well in school, you get good grades and you get awards. If you do well in sports, you make the team and you get a lot of applause. If you get into college, the merit system continues to reward excellence if you, if you, and then carries over into the business world after college as well. Exceptional performance earns promotions and raises, or a sloppy performance will get you fired or kicked off a shark tank if you decide to go that route. A lot of times, too, that can be carried over into our spirituality and our relationship with God, where we believe that we are only worthy of God's grace because of how well we perform in life, how many good things we can do, or how many people we share the gospel with, but that can be further from the truth of it. The definition of grace in regards to God is his unmerited favor. God's grace is his unmerited favor. Grace means that God showered favor and blessing on us who did not in any way deserve it or earn it. We deserve the penalty, but he showed us favor. And this grace is freely given. All this to say that grace is an important topic to discuss since it is because of grace freely given that you and I can, can be here this morning and worship despite our past, despite our mistakes, despite our sin, because it was by grace that we were paid for. And that brings us to this passage in Titus, where the subject of grace is truly put on perspective in two different ways, which actually function as well as my points this morning. They are how grace was revealed to us and how we are in training or a work in progress because of the grace that we have received. And through our discussion this morning, what I want everyone here and watching at home online to really grasp is this, that the grace of God expresses the transformative nature of the gospel. It trains and motivates us to live a life that emulates the life of our Savior. So our first point this morning is grace saves. The book of Titus was written to a man named Titus. Now, we don't know much about him other than the fact that he was a Greek follower of Jesus who uh, was for years a traveling companion of Paul. He was, he was a protege and learned a lot from him. In this letter, we learn that Paul assigned him the task of staying in Crete and ministering to the people there. And this letter to Titus was focused on restoring order to a network of house churches and teaching the people in Crete a way of living that was based off of theological truth with the desired results uh, of, of the people living a life that was based off of sound doctrine, whose lives would be transformed because of the grace of God. And this passage of Titus in particular is one of those ones that can be described as a theological goldmine, right? There is so much here. It's a rich, dense, and vivid picture of grace, whereas the previous verses and the chapter before this one was about teaching right living, here God's grace is shown as the foundation on which everything else in the life of a believer is built. And all centers around Paul's words in verse 11. It begins by saying, For the grace of God has been revealed. The grace of God has been revealed. Other translations talk about how the grace of God has appeared. What Paul is referring to here is the embodiment of grace that was revealed or appeared in the person of Jesus. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, it wasn't a matter of how God's grace wasn't available before the arrival of Jesus. That's, that's not what Paul is saying here. It's only that God's grace was made physical and real through the coming of Jesus. And the purpose of that, Paul says, is to bring salvation to all 
people. When the sun arrived, he made visible in a fresh, new, and compelling way the grace of God, which all the scriptures before Jesus' arrival talk about. And the way of doing that was to go to the cross to pay the penalty for us. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 elaborates on this gift of grace by saying, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. You see, this grace that was made real and visible in the person of Jesus is something that we have not earned or worked for. This is where the generous nature of his grace comes in because scripture tells us that his grace is a gift freely given. His grace means salvation for all people. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And how amazing is that? It's so good. It's, it's such a good reminder. And it reminds me of the message from last week, how, how Paul, who was uh, once called Saul, he was once a persecutor of the church to the point where he even referred to his past self as the chief of sinners. Right? You have to do some pretty bad things to think of yourself as the chief of sinners. But someone as lost as he was, was able to experience the grace of God. You are not out of God's reach. And salvation doesn't have to be this pipe dream. His grace is made available to us through Jesus, bringing salvation to all people. When verse 11 says that the grace of God was revealed, the word used in, in the Greek, if you trace it back, actually is, is, is where we get our word epiphany, right? And to have an epiphany means to have a sudden discovery, right? To connect the dots on something or to figure out something that just made you go, stop and go, whoa, Right? It's that figurative light bulb moment that lights up above your head. And I remember when I was living in college dorms, and I mean, if you have ever lived in college dorms, there's, there's some people who don't appreciate keeping things clean and smelling good, right? And so there, there, at one point, I remember someone had that light bulb moment or epiphany where they had this, like, uh, this table fan, and they decided to tape a dryer sheet to the table fan to try and get their room to smell good. I mean, genius, right? Absolutely genius. Or that one time where we tried using Doritos as, as kindling, and it turns out that that powder on the chips that we really love is actually pretty flammable. Who knew? See, we have all experienced epiphanies. Maybe, maybe in the form of, of life hacks or, or ideas or, or realizations, rather, of some kind. See, the grace of God that appeared, that was revealed in Jesus, is like an epiphany. A sudden breaking through the darkness, a realization of the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he came to do. In Jesus, the grace of God appeared to the world. And the entire idea of salvation is rooted in the grace of God, his free favor and his generous action taken upon the cross for us. But more than simply learning about the grace that was made real and visible in Jesus, there's something that his grace does in our lives, which leads us to our second point this morning, is that grace teaches. Growing up and, and growing to school, and going to school rather, at any level, uh, everyone can say at one point or another that they have a favorite teacher. Good teachers leave an incredible impact on their students long after their education is done. And I remember in high school, one teacher in particular named Mr. Hughes, uh, he was my computer lab uh, teacher, and it was learning from him that I got my passion for, for tech and, and graphic design. He was, he was hilarious, often making sure classes were never dull or never boring. But more than that, he just made himself available for students beyond the class time. When my dad was sick when I was in high school, Mr. Hughes heard about the situation and told me that if there was anything he could do to let him know, right? And that compassion, I never received that from any other teacher during that time, and that compassion helped shape the way I interact with even my students today. And also his first name was Scott, which also automatically made him pretty cool. 
If, if, if their name is Scott, you know that they are good people. But the point is everyone has an idea of what qualities make up a great teacher, whether it's from personal experience or otherwise. And I'm certain, though, and so is Paul in our text, that the best teacher is grace. Verse 12 to 13 of our text says, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. The ancient Greek word for instructing or teaching has in mind what a parent does for a child. It speaks of the entire teaching process, uh, training, encouragement, uh, correction, and, and, and discipline. Right? Grace is a teacher in this sense, the best teacher. The very essence of God's grace teaches us to live in a way that honors him in the midst of, of the world we are surrounded by. What Paul is saying is that as believers, the grace of God in our lives motivates us to live in a way that expresses the work that God has done and is continuing to do in our hearts. And we are told to do all of this while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. What caught my attention here is the use of the same word as, as the ver first verse, revealed, right? But in a different tense. Verse 11 talks about how the grace of God has been revealed in the person of Jesus, while verse 13 emphasizes that we are called to live by grace until the day Jesus returns. What Paul is trying to say here is that the, the way of life of a believer is based on God's generous grace, which was uh, demonstrated when Jesus gave up his honor to die a painful death on behalf of his enemies so that he could rescue and redeem them so that he could rescue and redeem you and I. And it is that same grace that teaches us and all of God's people to deny ways of life that are inconsistent with this generous grace and to do this while living in expectation of Jesus' return. See, our relationships with one another, with the communities in which we live, and with the world should reflect the grace of God in Jesus Christ, who gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Imagine for a second, just imagine how welcomed our witness and our testimony might be when we live out our identity as people belonging to Christ. When, for instance, we are ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding argumentative attitudes, and showing gentleness and courtesy to every single person. The very next chapter of, of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, summarizes this for us. It says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They, should, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. See, of all people, of all people, followers of Jesus should be known as the ideal citizens. Peaceable, generous, obedient to authorities, known for pursuing the common good. And that way of living should be the result of God's generous grace alive in our lives, which has brought salvation to us and calls us to live in expectation of his return. See, the, this grace is one that trains and teaches us to ultimately emulate the life of our Savior. See, we are still in training, of course, right? Becoming Christ-like in our daily lives is not an overnight thing. You can't decide one night that you want to be as perfect as Jesus and then wake up the next morning convinced that you actually are perfect. We are a work in progress, and that reality, and the reality rather, is that until we meet Jesus face to face, we will always be a work in progress. 
There will always be room for more growth and more teaching and more discipleship in our lives. We will never find the point where we can't grow to be more like Jesus. And our motivation to continually learn to live that life of grace can only come from the one who entered into our humanity in humility and in love, who saw us at, in our worst and still thought of us as worthy of investment. Right? The grace that we receive isn't something you and I need to earn or work for, but it's one that is freely given, generously, and out of an abundance of love for you and I. And Paul is convinced that spirit-empowered faithfulness to the teachings of Jesus is what will declare God's grace all over the world. See, the letter of, of Titus, in our passage in particular, is great at showing us Paul's missionary strategy for churches to become agents of transformation within their communities. It won't happen by waging a culture war or assimilating to the way of life at the time. Rather, Paul calls Christians to wisely participate in culture because they know the grace of God that has been revealed to them through Jesus. They need to reject what is corrupt and also embrace what is good. If they can learn to live peaceably, devote themselves to Jesus and to the common good. Believers will, and in Paul's words in verse 10, make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. And I want to make clear that this is still the call to believers today. I want to say again, because it's so important, our relationships with one another, with the communities in which we live, and with the world should reflect the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is as simple as that. And too often we see right now around our world people, even other believers and other churches who are all too comfortable choosing to argue, speak negatively or confrontationally about others, whether they be world leaders, celebrities, or even other believers. There's such a lack of grace in our culture today that I believe we need to return to recognizing the grace that saved us when we were not worthy and allow that grace to teach us to live lives that both emulate the life of our Savior and lead others to do the same. It's not about living in a way that uses grace as a scapegoat to continue sinning ourselves because that's not what grace is. Our lives as believers are to reflect to all people that the grace of God has taken root in our lives and that God empowers us to live in a way that we could not on our own. And I don't know about you, but I want that to be my life. That because of the grace that God has demonstrated to me, to my wife, to my, to my child, to my family— I do my part to make the message of grace and redemption attractive in every single way. Because I know that God in my life has, has redeemed me. And there's a word to summarize this attitude that Paul is talking about. And that word is zeal. And the final verse of our, of our passage, verse 14, says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. See, every word of this description of Jesus' work is important. Jesus gave, which means it was voluntary. He gave himself, which means it was all that he could give. And he gave himself for us, which means Jesus took the place that was ours. And because of that, he made us his very own people. And that description, his very own people, is itself super important. It means reserved for and it was used uh, in context for the spoils of a battle or a campaign, which the king who had conquered set apart for himself. Because of grace, we were reserved for and set apart for God. It gives us the opportunity to be invited back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. But we weren't just redeemed and set aside. 
The verse says he gave his life to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And that's where zeal comes in. We are called to live our lives totally committed, zealous, to do good, to live well, to be generous, to have grace, and to make the gospel of Jesus attractive to all who see it in action in our lives. It's not saying we need good works to earn grace. It's saying that the grace we receive should challenge us to share that grace to our communities and the people around us. See, the world is in such desperate need for followers of Jesus to step up and allow the grace that transforms us to be used and demonstrated towards those around us. This message to Titus for the believers in Crete is just as important for us today as we are called to transform our communities through the grace that teaches us daily to become more like our Savior. I'd like to invite the worship team uh, back up. After all we discussed this morning, church, I hope you are encouraged by the grace of God that is made available to you. It is a grace that was made real in the coming of Jesus and a grace that teaches us to be more like him in our world today. Because this world needs grace. It needs followers of Jesus who are totally committed to live well and to demonstrate grace ourselves to everyone around us, especially to those that we may not deem worth, worth demonstrating grace to. But it's within the times where we think that about others that we need to remember that we too were unworthy of this generous grace of God. It's because of God's grace that he calls us his very own people and calls us to transform our communities, our schools, our workplaces, our homes with the good news of grace that transformed our lives. Church, may we be eager, like Paul tells Titus, to do good and to live well because of the grace that we have in Jesus. May we allow ourselves room to grow and to be taught and instructed by the same grace so that our relationships with one another, with the communities in which we live and with the world can reflect the grace of God. And may we demonstrate grace in the situations where we or others fail because God showed us that same grace through Jesus. See, God isn't looking for perfect. He just wants your heart. He just wants your heart. Enough so that he sent Jesus for us. And it is by his generous grace that we are redeemed and transformed to be more like him. And so I encourage you, church, to give grace a chance in your life. Give Jesus a chance because it is through his grace for us that everything changes. I encourage you to use this time of worship before we uh, enter into a time of communion to reflect on the grace of God in your life because our motivation to continually learn to live that life of grace can only come from the one who entered into our humanity in humility and love. I invite you to stand as we worship together this morning.
celebrate communion together this morning. On the way in, you should have received uh, your communion cup with the wafer on top. If you're new, uh, it does require a little bit of finessing in order to open. You can just push down on the tab and pull up the layer of plastic covering the wafer. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 24 says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together this morning. Verse 25 to 26 says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. God, you're so amazing. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son for us to save us, to demonstrate generous grace to us so that we may be transformed to have right relationship with you and to live more like you each and every single day. God, may we be encouraged and equipped to show your grace to those we encounter during our weeks. God, wherever we go, whatever we do, whether at school, at work, or at home, God, may we show grace, the same grace that saved us. And God, right now, as we close off our time together this morning, we want to lift up a few of our church congregation. Lord, we, we pray for Richard Watson. God, we thank you that he is out of the hospital, but God, as he was in there, he contracted COVID. And so, Lord, I just pray for healing over his body and his life right now, Lord Jesus. May he not experience too much uh, discomfort or, or sickness from the symptoms, but God, may he, may he continue to feel better day by day. 
Lord, I pray for peace in his family's life as, as they have watched him uh, j- just walk through this, this journey of trying to find the right treatment, the right medication that works for him. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that he's able to find a solution that works for his body long term. And God, we lift up Gina to you and Todd as well. God, both have, have received and are receiving treatment uh, for cancer. And, and Lord, Todd is in Princess Margaret right now. And God, I just, I, I, I lift up Todd to you. God, he needs your healing touch in his life. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you meet him right there where he is right now. God, may he feel your love and your presence and your comfort and your, and, and your healing over his body, Lord Jesus. God, we lift up Carl and Edith to you as well. Lord, I pray for, for strength for Edith, for comfort, for encouragement. God, for, for, for Carl, I pray for continued healing as he's at home uh, recovering from the surgeries he's had to endure. Lord, all these needs and more, God, you know the hearts of, of your people. You know that there are needs that, are, that, that haven't been shared or spoken within our church congregation this morning. So I pray that by your grace, God, we begin to see and hear amazing things of you working in the lives of your people. God, testimonies happening, healings taking place, God. I thank you for, for your love. I thank you for your grace. And God, as we go from this place this morning, may we go with just, just a fresh sense of your love for us. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless, church. You are dismissed. Have a good Sunday afternoon. Have a good week ahead. We'll see you next week. God bless.